Jenny. This, good morning everybody, if I haven't met you yet. I am, my name is Jonathan. I get to be a pastor here. And happy Palm Sunday. Today is the first day of what's traditionally known as Passion Week, the celebration and remembrance of the last week of Jesus' life leading up to his death and crucifixion, his, cruci- his death by crucifixion and then his resurrection, which we celebrate next Sunday. And today is what's is celebrated around the world, Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a celebration of the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on this donkey, coming into the week of, of his, his passion. And all the crowds were excited because there was this growing sense of expectation that this was the Messiah. This was the one who was going to defeat their enemies and bring God's kingdom to the world. And people were excited about that, and so they grabbed palm branches, that's why it's called Palm Sunday, and waved them and made this big parade and said, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was this huge celebration and this great, great moment. And there were these high, I, I think the, the term Passion Week is appropriate because it was a week of intense emotions, intense passion on the part of Jesus most of all. And there were these, these highest of highs. There was the Palm Sunday and... There was right before that, the night before, he had been anointed with oil by one of his closest friends, this woman named Mary, who had taken this very expensive bottle of perfume and broke it open and dumped it on his head. And people were offended at that, but he said, no, this is really important. This is preparing me for my burial. And there were these these highest of highs, and there were also the lowest of lows. And Jesus was going to go to the cross and endure the most intense agony and emotional torment and difficulty that anybody has has ever experienced. And then he was going to be resurrected. And it was all within this same week. And I think as a church, a lot of times we've, we don't do something for for Good Friday. We, We don't have a special service or anything. So we typically go from Palm Sunday to resurrection. And that's kind of nice. Because we just focus on the highest of highs, right? Like, yeah, Jesus is the king, and then, yeah, he's resurrected. And we don't have to dwell too much there in the, the agony and the difficulty of, he went, of what he went through leading up to the resurrection. But today we're going to go there a little bit. Because that's, that's an essential part of the story, and that's an essential part of the process that he leads us through, personally as well. That... Not only did Jesus have to experience intense emotion, intense passion, on both ends of the spectrum, but his disciples did too. And it was a very highest of highs and lowest of lows week for them. And we're going to look at that a little bit. And I'm, you know, by nature, I'm kind of an evil, even-keeled guy. Like, I tend to stay pretty emotionally steady, by, you know, a lot of ways by nature or whatever it is. But... I found that the Christian life is a lot of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Like there's, if you think that Jesus is going to rescue you from that, maybe you should find a psychiatrist instead, because that's more what they specialize in. But there is an intensity to this walking with Christ. That, and you, you look at people throughout the Bible, Jesus himself, it's like, wow. Like the highs are great, the lows are brutal. And that's not necessarily the way we would pick it, but that is God has a purpose in all of that. And so we've been, we've been going through what we're calling the 21 Days of Faith 
Today is day 15, and we've been talking about how, we've been looking at building our faith over these, over these 21 days leading up, to, leading up to Easter, the resurrection celebration. And this last, we started off just talking, we've been talking about how really faith is how God works. And we've talked about the aspects of faith is where God has a preferred future for you. We are living here, and God has something higher, something more, something better. And faith is how we trust him and come into that higher place. And so that's a really important part of faith. Today we're going to talk about even a more intense aspect of that, is that not just when I'm like here and God wants to take me there, but when life is brutal, when life is really intense, and it doesn't feel like there's any way out of it. It's really, our, our title is, When Your Faith is Tested. Faith is, we, we all like the idea of faith, but our faith will be tested. And we're going to look at, at this story of how Jesus' faith was tested, and how the disciples' faith was tested, and how Jesus takes, tests our faith. And the goal is to take us through that test into a better place. And that is, as Christians, we're not, we're not um, we're, there is suffering involved, but it's always death leading to resurrection. It's never just death for the sake of death or suffering for the sake of suffering. It's always God takes us through something in order to bring us into his resurrection life, always into something more. And so that's, that's what we're looking at today. Um, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And y'all follow me so far? Is this true to life of anybody else besides me? Am I the only one who's highest of highs, lowest of lows kind of life experience? Is this that you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, see some nodding going on here. Uh, Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, and this this is just right. This is right after chapter 11, which is talking about all these heroes of faith, people who live by faith. And so it's saying, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people who've lived a life of faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, to live by faith, it doesn't just happen. There are things that have to be thrown off. There are things that keep us from living by faith. And there is sin that entangles us and pulls us back from that. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you think about that, why do you need perseverance for a race? Well, because you get tired, because you want to stop, because it's, it's painful to keep going. Say, but no, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So this is our key. How do we make it through the test of our faith? It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. A pioneer is the one who goes first, in order that others can come after. They're the first one who goes there, but then other can come in, others can come in, their, in, in that person's wake. So Jesus is the pioneer of, our, pioneer of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. He perfects our faith. So we're going to look at his life today in order for us to come into more faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that sentence. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Jesus went through incredible difficulty, scorn, pain, anguish, but he saw that on the other side of that cross, there was a joy set before him. There was something, God was taking him through that, but it wasn't going to stay there. There was something more God was bringing him into. And so for that joy of what God was bringing him into, not only him, but the whole world, he went through that place. And then, as a result, he came through and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're going to look at that story, at the story in Mark chapter 14, of the night Jesus was betrayed, just leading up to that point of his betrayal, leading right up into his trial and his crucifixion. And uh, really the story of how Jesus walked through this testing of his faith. And so, Mark chapter, chapter 14. Let me get a swig of water here. I'm just going to read this story, this part of the story, and then we're going to talk about it. Mark 14, starting in verse 26. So this is right after he's led them in. They, they've celebrated the Passover, and then, which is really the first communion, the Lord's Supper. He talks about his bread and his body, and we're actually going to do that later on this morning. But it says, Then, in verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, here it is. Jesus is with his 12 disciples. Actually, it's 11 now because Judas has left the room. And he's actually going to the officials in order to betray Jesus. And so Jesus is now with, with his 11 disciples. The night, he's, his last night with them before he's, before he's crucified. And he says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I think that's, that's just a lot there. He's saying, hey, you're all going to fall away. You're not going to stand with me through this point of my greatest need. But he's still staying faithful to them. And says, but, hey, but I'm going to come back for you and we'll rendezvous up in Galilee. So after this all happens, that's, that's where we're going to meet. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, Yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And their level of self-awareness is comparable to us, right? A lot of times they're like, no, how can you, man, you're, we're, we're your truest disciples, We've been with you through thick and thin. We love you. We're never going to fall away. That was, that was their self-perception. Little did they know what was, a lot of what was actually going on in their hearts. Jesus did know that. So they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Now here is Jesus, the one who's always been the man, been the one who's had everything. He's telling his closest friends, hey, I, I'm in a tough spot right here. I really need you. Can you just, can you just stand with me? 
Can you, can you be here with me in this, in this place? Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Can you imagine? I mean, I can just feel, imagine being in their shoes. It's, I think it's not too hard to relate, if we're honest, about our own, our own lives. And here, man, they just, they've, they're failing him, big time. And he's saying, hey, where are you? And they got, they got nothing. They got nothing to say in this moment. Um, returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, this is... I don't think we can relate to... I mean, I know we can't relate. This is what Jesus is going through. What he's entering into is the most intense suffering and anguish that anyone has ever experienced by far. It's his hour of greatest need. He's about to face physical anguish, mocking, disgrace. And a huge aspect of this is the betrayal and the abandonment that he's going through, that he's all alone in it. And even the people that should have been the most faithful to him are not with him in that place. And he's going into a place, he's about to, he's about to experience that his relationship with the Father, that, is, that is, he is one with the Father, he's always been one with the Father from eternity, he's going to, going to experience separation from the Father. He's going to experience the, the sins of the world coming upon him and the wrath of God coming upon him. All of that he's facing, and he's facing it all alone. Jesus is, his faith is being tested. Jesus is God, but Jesus is also 100% man. And as a man, he is at the place of facing what we can't even imagine what it was like. And I can just so appreciate, I, I was thinking about this this week this, as I was reading through some of these, this, this, the passages about this Passion Week. And there, the few days earlier when Mary had broken that perfume and anointed him, I think, wow, that was really important for him as a, as a person. That, okay, here's one person who's, who's getting it. And she is expressing that love and that faithfulness. And hey, I, she, she, she got something that nobody else got, I believe. And I think that, that probably really made a big difference in, in Jesus' soul as a, as a human being. But here he is. He's, 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 he's alone. And his, his, his natural self does not want to go through this road to the cross. 
he, that is not, he, he knows that's the plan. It's what he's been preparing for. It's what he came to earth for. He's been telling people that's where he was going for the last three years. But here he's at this point, and he said, God, do I have to go through with this? Is there any other way? Is there any other way in following you and seeing your kingdom come and seeing people restored to you than this? If there's any other way, God, please, please let that happen. But then he comes back in that place and says, God, but not my will, but yours be done. Not what I want, but what you want. Man, that is just so, man, it just makes me want to worship him. He comes to that place and he's, he's able to say, God, I trust you enough that in this place of darkness, in this place of feeling alone and in anguish, God, I trust you enough and I love you enough to say, God, it's not what I want, but it's what you want. And that is the ultimate testing of our faith. And we know the rest of the story that Jesus comes through that. He stays faithful. He goes to the cross. With the joy set before him, he endures the cross. And he comes out and he's resurrected. He, and because of that, because he went through that moment, we are able to come into everything that God has for us as well. And, but I think about this. That God tested Jesus' faith. God also tests our faith. And the good news is, is that our test is nowhere near as crazy as Jesus' test. Praise the Lord. We should all be like jumping up and partying about that right now. Like our, our test is not, it's just small potatoes compared to what Jesus went through. But he will test our faith. Every good teacher, God's goal is to bring us into a place of greater faith. And there's no teacher who doesn't give tests to their students. And so if God is wanting us to grow in our faith, he's going to have tests along the way that are the opportunity for us to, to show where we're at in our faith and to bring us into something more. I was looking at this passage, and Jesus quoted Zechariah at the beginning of that, where he said, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That was a prophecy from, from the prophet Zechariah, who had uh, lived about 500 years before this. And his, the book of Zechariah is a crazy book with all these dreams and like dreams tend to be just very interesting language and hard to understand, but in, in that there are a lot of prophecies about the Messiah and what he would do and how he would be pierced. And people, you know, the, the world would, would mourn for the one who was pierced on their behalf. And many, many, uh, just a lot of really interesting prophecies about Jesus. And, and one of those is this one that Jesus quotes. And I just want to read through that because it's, it's really applicable here. And in Zechariah 13.7, uh, God is speaking. He says, Awake, awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. All right, that's, if you think about that, that's kind of crazy. God's saying, there's a man who's close to me, and I'm calling for a sword to be awakened against him. And this is speaking of Jesus and how he was going to go to the place of death. And, and really, it's important to see that that was not just the Roman officials who, who brought Jesus to the place of crucifixion. It was not just the Jewish leaders. It wasn't just Pilate. It wasn't just Herod. It wasn't just the crowds. 
But God himself was involved in this whole process. I was reading a commentary about this in Barnes Notes on the Bible. It's talking about this verse. It's, he says, But by this command, God signifies that human malice, acting freely, could do no more than his hand, God's hand, and his counsel determined before to be done. The envy and hatred of Satan, the blind fury of the chief priest, the contempt of Herod, the guilty cowardice of Pilate, freely accomplished that death which God had before decreed for the salvation of the world. And that's important for us to realize that what Jesus was going through, it was at the hand of sinners. But above and beyond all that, God was working sovereignly to accomplish something great. And part of that process was the anguish that Jesus had to go through, the testing of his faith. And back to this, uh, this verse in Zechariah, it says, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who's close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Now, wait a minute. It's one thing to strike the shepherd, but this is saying he's going to turn his hand against the little ones, too. Like the sheep are being scattered. And somehow, just as God's hand is involved in what's happening to Jesus, there is a testing from God that also comes to his little sheep, to us. Those little sheep. Praise the Lord. You guys don't look very excited about any of this. I'm not either. But it's good for us to understand. We, we need to understand. There's, just as God takes our shepherd through this, he has a purpose in bringing stuff to us too that test our faith in order to bring us into something more. He goes on, says, In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire, and I think this, um, this, could be, this is talking about the, you know, the, definitely the time when Jesus lived and most of the people rejected Jesus. Most of the Jewish people who he came to did not believe in him as the Messiah. But many did. So there's kind of this, hey, two-thirds will not make it, but one-third will. I think it definitely applies to that time in history. But I think there's a principle also that applies throughout history. That there is a testing of our faith and there's not a guarantee that you're going to make it through the test. It's a real test. There's, there's not, a, it's not everybody makes it through the test in the same way. He, he says, two-thirds, uh, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. So he's like, well, I made it through. Well, okay, what happens next? This third I'll put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Now God is, Jesus is not only the pioneer of our faith, but he's the perfecter of our faith. And he brings a testing in our life that has the opportunity to bring us into something more. And I think our, our natural, my natural tendency when I read this passage is, and I think it's the natural tendency of a lot of, a lot of us is like, God, how can you do that? That's not fair. That seems too tough. How could you do that to us? Like, I'm a nice guy, Lord. Like, I'm, I'm a good guy, right? Like, don't you like me? Don't you love me? How could you, how could you take me through this? How could, how, could, how, could the, how is there this very real probability that I'm not going to make it coming through this test of faith? But the real question we should be asking is not, God, how could you do this to me? But it should be, God, how can I come through 
How can I come through that testing in my faith? How can I be in that third? How can I be refined like silver or like gold through the fire? And that's really the question that we want to ask. And so, um, I want to talk here about those two questions. Though, like, why does God test us? And how can we come through the test of faith? Why does God test us? Well, a couple of reasons. I just want to go over quickly. One, testing uncovers our weakness. And that's a good thing. Peter, think about him. He was like, God, no, man, I'm, 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 I'm loyal. I'm strong. I'll be with you to the end. That testing showed where he was at. And that's a good thing. Because it's in Peter was going to be the leader of the church. And no matter who we are, and the more leadership we have, the more important it is for us to know that we are weak. That it's not about us, but it's the grace of God. And it's important for us to be in touch with our weakness. It's been said that all, all I am is I'm one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's really what we are. We're not the answer. We're beggars. But we've, by the grace of God, we found where there's bread. And we can tell other people, hey, there's bread over there. Jesus has the bread. Go to him. But you've got to know you're a beggar in order to, to be in that place. And so, man, testing, it's, isn't that true? When you're tested, it like brings you in, in uh, face-to-face with your weakness. I know, when I get sick, like, it's crazy how just like one day of being sick changes my whole world. It's like, I can feel like, man, life's going pretty good. I'm kicking butt. I'm doing good. Things are going well. I'm sick. Oh, my goodness. I can't do anything. I got, like, this, this took me out completely. Just one little part of my body that's not working right now. And I'm out. And that's, it's important for us to know that we, we're weak. And it's, 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 that's, that's, where we, that's where we start this thing. God tests us to uncover our weakness and to reveal his faithfulness. In our time of testing, we can experience God's faithfulness and His goodness like, like no, no other time. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, When we're faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. And that's good news. When we're faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. We see, I'm weak, God, but, his, but God comes through and His character, His goodness, His power shows up in incredible ways. God tests us to uncover our weakness, to reveal his faithfulness, and then to strengthen our faith. To strengthen our faith, to strengthen our faithfulness. It's interesting that the, the word, the Greek word used in the New Testament for faith is the same word as faithfulness. And so, when we have faith towards God, we become faithful towards God. It's all, how do we know how faithful we are? James said, hey, if you say you have faith, but if you have faith, it'll play out in your works. It'll play out in your lifestyle. Faith leads, trust in God leads to a faithfulness in our life, and our relationship with him. In James 1, we're told, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, Lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you meet trials. When you meet that test of faith, count it joy. Why? Because through that test, God brings us into something more. We have the opportunity to come into a greater place of character, a greater place of faith, a greater place of steadfastness. Steadfastness, that's sometimes translated endurance. Um, it's, 
But stay, it literally means to remain under the challenges that God allots to us in life. It's where we're staying in that place and not letting them completely throw us bonkers. Um, so God, God brings us to a place of test, not just to expose us, but to bring us to a place of greater faith. So how do we pass that faith test? That's the real question. So God brings these tests. How do we pass it? I just want to give a couple of things to help us in passing this faith test. The first thing is to cultivate our friendship with God and with other believers. The more we have a a genuine, authentic friendship with God and with other believers that he's put in our life, the better place we're going to be in to make it through that test of faith. The people who made it, the disciples, the associates of Jesus who did the best, in this trial, this faith test, were the ones that were the closest to him. Mostly it was the women, I have to, I have to say. You know, the, the dudes all scattered. But I talked about Mary anointed him. His, the women disciples were there at the cross. They were the first to the tomb. They were, like, they, and the women tended be a little more intuitive, tend to get relationships, friendships a little bit better than guys in a lot of ways. We all know that's true. They, that friendship, like they were, they were, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was happening, but there was this, out of just the love of their heart towards their Lord, it positioned them in the right place to go through that in the best way. Even probably the, the one of the, of the 12 that did the best was, at least that we know, John. John was at the cross also with, with the mother of Jesus and the other women. Um, and he was, you know, he called himself a disciple who Jesus loved. There was a special friendship that he had with Jesus. And it helped bring him through in a better way than just about anybody else. But really all the disciples, though, they, in their place, even as they were struggling through things, it wasn't just their friendship with Jesus, but with one another. And they're a place of what in the world is going on. Like, what we expected to happen is not happening. The one thing they did right was they came together. Those disciples, they got together. They got in a room together. They said, we're going to figure this thing out together. We're going to stick together as we, got, as we go through that. And that was the place where Jesus showed up and, and met them all. And so, as we cultivate our friendship with God and with other believers, it helps take us through the test of faith. It all comes from that place. Um, another aspect of, of preparing or being able to pass the test of faith is to grow in the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer. The more we're practicing our friendship with God through prayer and, and reading the Bible, the better prepared we're going to be for the test of faith. Last week, Jesse talked about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we hear the Word of God, the more we hear the Word of God, the more our faith grows and the more we're in a place to walk through the, the test of life. Um, it was interesting, Jesus, at that, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples, Peter, James, and John, can't you just wait with me with, for one hour? Can't you pray with me for one hour? There was, don't you have that, that built into you, to, the ability to pray for an hour? And if they had had a better prayer life, they would have been in a better place to walk through that. And how do you pray for an hour? Well, first you pray for ten minutes. You, get, you build this pattern in your life, this spiritual discipline of, God, I'm going to spend time with you praying. And if you do it for 10 minutes, then you can come to greater places. So grow in the spiritual disciplines of Bible study 
and prayer. And then the last thing I want to talk about is how, do you, how to pass the faith test. Practice lordship daily. As Jesus liked to say, he said in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and die to himself. And Jesus faced that place. God, not my will, but yours be done. I, I don't want this, but I'm embracing your will over my will. That's what lordship is. It's saying, God, it's not my will, but I'm going to say whatever your will is. That's what, that's what I want. Our faith is tested by a lot of things. Our faith is tested when God asks us to do what seems impossible. It's also tested when God asks us to do what we don't want to do. And it's really tested when it, we don't want to do it, and it's impossible. That seems like that's what God asks us to do a lot, actually. Um, but this is, like, the more we're practicing daily, God, okay, it's not about my will, but today I offer my life to you. Whatever you want, that's what I want. The better place we're in to walk through the test of faith. All right, one of the um, manuals we use, or discipleship tools we use, is it's over here on the table, Real Life Discipleship. It's a, from a church in Idaho. And it's just a great it's an explanation of how people grow from being spiritually dead to being spiritual infants to spiritual children to spiritual young adults to spiritual parents and how to partner with God in that disciple-making process. And I love, one of the things that stands out the most to me is in the section on spiritual infants. So these are baby Christians. When you first become a Christian, it says this is what baby Christians need. So just like when you have a baby, you bring them home, like they need a lot of milk, they need to be held, they need to be loved, they need their diapers changed. This is what a spiritual infant needs. This is what a, human, a natural infant needs. Spiritual infants need certain things. And there's a list of what they need to learn. And here's the list. They need to learn weekly church attendance, regular Bible reading, having a prayer life, sharing your faith, tithing, putting off sin, forgiving others, serving others, discerning media intake, avoiding temptation, redirecting thought life, in a weekly discipleship meeting. These are, I think that's a great, that's a great list. I mean, these are things that if you're going to move on to the next stage, you need to say yes to God in these areas. And some of those things are things that cross your will. They have to do with your money and your time, your priorities. Like, okay, I don't want to put God first in my, top, my money I don't think I have enough money. I don't, I don't, how's that work? It's okay. Are you willing to trust God and say his will over your will? That's going to be a key thing. And until you do that, you can't move on to the next step of being a spiritual child. A, that's how God leads us. He puts stuff in front of us and says, okay, here's my will. What's it going to be? My will or your will? And the life of walking with God is, is leading us to say, okay, God, I'm going to say yes to you and not what I want. Um, you know, how do we practice lordship? It's taking steps like that. It's saying yes to the small things. It's the more we say yes to the little things, the more we're able to say yes to the big things. When it comes to our friends, to our romantic life, to our careers, to relational challenges, to stepping out in the mission God's called us into. It's just saying yes over and over again. And then it's when we, if we stumble, it's not staying in that place, but saying, God, okay, I stumbled, but I'm not, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn back to you and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. All right. There's a lot here. I know. We're going to have some time as we wrap this up. I think there's nothing more appropriate we could do than to take part in communion together. Because it's, it's Jesus who leads us into all of this. And it's not just, okay, this is what I do by my own willpower. 
But Jesus is the pioneer of faith. And he's the perfecter of our faith. And it's through what he did with his death and his resurrection that allows us to live in a way that we can come into passing the, t- the test of faith. Um, let me read back in, in Mark 14. Verse, verse 22. This is right before Jesus was out in the garden in agony, wrestling over his, his course. We read, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Now, it's so amazing. Jesus is facing his greatest personal challenge. And he's with the people who are going to not be there for him. Just in a matter of a couple hours. But he's saying, hey, I'm giving my all to you. I know you're going to leave me. I know you're fickle. I know you're weak. But I'm here for you. I'm giving you what you need. And I'm going to be there for you. Here is my body broken for you. Your ability to live this life is not going to be based on your willpower. It's not going to be based on how committed you are. It's going to be based on are you trusting me and receiving from me and getting my grace. And here's my body broken for you. Here's my blood poured out generously for you. This is how we come into this place of living in a way that honors God and living by faith. And so this morning, I just want to take a minute for each of us to look at our own lives. And let's go ahead and just bow our heads, close our eyes. God, I want to ask, give, you, give you a chance to ask yourself, where, where are you this morning? Are you trusting in and receiving God's grace? Are you in a place of wanting to be faithful to him, following him when he crosses your will? Just take a minute and come before the Lord. And if there's anything you want to just pray to him in your own words, anything to surrender to him, anything to trust him in, just take a minute and do that. I know this is an intense thing, but it's a good thing. It's, it's so good. Jesus, out of his character, out of his strength, out of his righteousness, out of his love, that's what our hope is in. That's what our ability to live this life is in. It's not in us. It's not in our ability to hold it together or figure it out but in our place of greatest weakness, our place of greatest need, our place of greatest failure, that's that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he gave his 
life. He wasn't, that doesn't disqualify us. That qualifies us if we trust him, as we trust him. He's so good. And our, our hope is in him. Our ability to live this life is 100% through his grace and his power, his love poured out into our lives. That's what gives us this ability. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you went through what you did. Thank you that you chose the will of the Father over what even what you wanted in that moment. Thank you that you gave yourself completely for us and our brokenness. And God, thank you that you not only forgive us, but you transform us. Lord, this morning we are thanking you for that. We're trusting you for that. Even as we partake of the bread representing your body, the cup representing your blood. Lord, we receive your grace, your empowerment, your victory, your transformation in our souls. In the way you intend for us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together.